Turing you are FM 103.7. It's Pet Chat on a Wednesday afternoon. We've got David from Fern Bay, and he's got some bladder issues with his puppy. Hello, David. Good afternoon. Our, our dog's about five year old. Okay. Uh, we think we gave him sort of uh, reason to pee in the house uh, because we closed the doors in the hot weather. Right, okay. But now the hot weather's gone. And he's still doing it. He's still doing it. Right, okay. Uh, and, uh, and how do we fix that? So is he is he going in just one particular area or is he just sort of randomly um, going all through the house? Well, a few places through the house. Yep. Uh, this morning, it, yesterday morning, it was in the sunroom, mm-hmm. uh, which hasn't happened before. Okay. Uh, but uh, he was sort of doing it on the timber floor, now, then the tile floor, and now the... Another carpet. Carpet in the sunroom. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the really important things to start with is make sure you're cleaning any of the areas that you can remember and that you know um, that there's been a um, a wee down um, to make sure you're cleaning it with a really good enzymatic cleaner. Just getting a standard carpet cleaner isn't going to do it because the protein pheromones that they release in the urine sort of stick to all the they'll stick to the carpet fibers. They'll stick into the wood, um, into the wood grain, and and even on the tile um, that you know, they'll still smell that pheromone that that released when they wee there. So you really need to have a good quality enzymatic cleaner, something like a puppy cleaner or um, urine off or something. There's a, a number of different brands out there and you want to try to go through the house and anywhere that you can remember that he's gone, try to go over that area with um, with that again. Just doing it with bleach, we won't smell any wee, but um, the dogs will still get that, that pheromone smell. So that's a really important place to start. Um, and uh, vinegar. Vinegar, yeah. So sometimes vinegar doesn't actually take up the pheromones, okay? So we need to usually have a protein binder, something that's going to break down the proteins that are that are there. So I would go into your local pet shop or um, maybe some of the grocery stores will have it, but look for something that's an actual urine um, enzymatic cleaner. It'll, it'll be specific for, you know, dog wee. Um, then the next thing to do is to, we, we got to take a bit of a step back and treat him like a puppy again, where we don't give him free reign at the house for a little while. And it might only take a week or so to sort of remind him that the appropriate place to toilet is outside. Um, but that will essentially look like either, um, going back to crate training, where if you have a little travel carrier or a little, a little crate, whenever he's unsupervised, he goes into there because dogs, uh, ideally want to be, not ideally, but instinctively want to be clean. And so if he's in a relatively small enclosed space that he's comfortable he can he can lie down and stretch out and have a sleep but not big enough that he can walk to the other side of it and say well I'll just do my wee here and I'm far enough away that I can sleep comfortably here that will give him some incentive to hang on to his um, bodily functions and that way when you come home or when you go to get him out of the cage the very first thing you're going to do is um is take him straight outside, no stopping anywhere. Um, take him straight outside, give him his little word. Hopefully he's got a little word that you can, you know, tell him, do your toilet, do your business, that sort of thing. Get him out there and um, and give him that word and just treat him again a little bit like a puppy so that he's not given the privilege of being loose in the house. And the only other thing I'd say, he's a male dog, so urinary tract infections are less common, but they do happen. And so if it's persistent and you're trying some of these things and it's not working, then I definitely would get him into your local vet, take a wee sample in, let them have a look at it, because we can see some urinary tract infections and urinary problems occasionally in dogs, and that will make him uh, potentially not want to hang on to it. But we, we just need to probably go back to training and just sort of not give him that privilege and um, you know treat him as if he's a small pup for a little while longer. So supervised... Um, time out of the house only and if he's not supervised he needs to be in a, an enclosed space and then taken out to the toilet d- directly. Sounds okay. good. All right. 
ask another quick question? Uh, sure. I think we have time. Yep. Uh, we've just introduced him a fortnight ago to uh, chicken necks mm-hmm. uh, because someone recommended them. Sure. Now he doesn't want anything else. Okay. Yep. So uh, my my feeling would always be. Um, there's a couple things. So there's no guarantee that chicken necks are safe. We've had a, um, a very unfortunate case of um, uh, esophageal obstruction in a dog this week in my practice. Um, so if he's eating them, he's chewing them up, then you're probably okay. But there is certainly no guarantee. And we see lots of dogs that get chicken necks stuck in their throats and they can be problematic. Uh, they should be reserved as a treat, really. Um, so, you know, if he's a healthy dog, you won't starve him to death by withholding anything else. So, um, you know, he can have a chicken neck, I would say maybe once or twice a week or three times maximum, and then he gets his food. And if he doesn't eat his food, I'd, I'd put it down for 30 minutes. If he doesn't eat it, pick it back up, offer it to him again the next meal. He he won't go along without eating if he's a normal, healthy sort of dog, if you're not giving in to those sad puppy dog eyes. So normal, healthy dog won't starve themselves to death if, um, you know, if he doesn't eat. The, the chicken necks, remember, are actually quite high in calories. There's a lot of, um, you know, sort of marrow in the in the bones and cartilage of the neck, and they're quite high fat. So um, it might be he's not hungry. He doesn't need anything else. But you can also, you know, play a little tough love. That's not going to cause him any harm. Uh, the, the, the big uh, little eyes looking at me. Yeah. Oh, well, you can put his little dry food down and say, here you go. You didn't eat it for breakfast. Have a little afternoon tea. If you're hungry enough, you'll eat it. Yeah, don't feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very, very much. You're very welcome. Good luck with that, David. Thank you. Bye. Jeez, thanks. It's hard to break away from those eyes, though, isn't it? It is. It is. They give you that look. I I spend a lot of my time telling clients, you know, you're just going to have to be tough because we have a real problem in Australia with obese pets and you just have to sometimes toughen up. And um, cats are a little bit different, but dogs, if you have a young, healthy dog, um, you won't they won't starve themselves to death. They'll sometimes hold out for a good couple of days before yep. they eat if you want them to eat something sort of healthy. Um, but it's just about being a little bit tough on them. So, Okay, fair enough. What's Is it because my mother feeds her dogs twice a day? Yep. But yep. my dad, who has another dog, he feeds <laughs> yeah. only once a day. Yeah. I, I feed twice a day. I think it's hard to expect a dog only to eat once a day. And I think in some cases it will encourage bad feeding habits. So you get dogs that beg a bit more they might gorge on their food because they're so hungry they're looking forward to their meal Um, but other dogs there are certainly dogs that are not very food motivated and they'll eat their one meal they'll happily eat it and they're not looking for a lot of food um, you know outside of that so mm. it just sort of depends on the family and on the dogs so yeah Cheryl a bit earlier you were mentioning about Swimming. Swimming Swimming for your pets. Look, swimming is great, and it's a great way to cool down your dog, and it's fun. It's an enjoyable way of exercising as well, particularly we're just saying about having, you know, dogs that are a little bit on the the fatter side. It's a nice way to, um, to try to slim them down. But there are some dangers that people need to be aware of. Firstly, not all dogs can swim. So often people just think, oh, I'll throw the dog in the pool, which please don't ever do that. Just assume they can <laughs> yeah, not swim. Yeah, and yeah. it's due to the um, sometimes to the body weight ratio that they can't swim, and sometimes it's because they might have a lot of coats. So you might have a dog like a, a Pekingese or an Old English Sheepdog with a lot of fur. Once that fur gets wet, the, the dog's weight changes, so they're not able to, to stay buoyant, and they unfortunately sink. And it's a very, very quick way to, um, to succumb in water so we need to make sure that um, just like when we're watching children that we're keeping an eye on the dog in the swimming pool because it is so easy for them to drown. The other thing is that a lot of people don't realise that they need to teach their dog how to get in and out of a pool. 
um, if you use your steps just the way you would get into the pool, encourage your dog to go via the steps so that it learns that that's the way to exit and enter the pool. The thing is when they're swimming and they go over to the edge of the pool, they can't actually, for most dogs, pull themselves up over the edge and get out of the pool. It's because they don't have enough upper body strength to be able to lift themselves up. There are some breeds like your cattle dogs and your kelpies who are able to do that. But on the whole, most dogs would tire very, very quickly. And again, then we have the presenting of a dog that's going to drown. So we need to be very, very mindful of, again, teaching them, encouraging them to come back to the steps at all times. Times. Um, it's it's another thing too. You know, we, we we talk about that supervision. It's whether it's at the pool or at the beach or at the lake. You need to constantly be watching your dog. The um, other problem too is sometimes people go boating and they take their dogs on a boat. I always recommend that a dog wear a life jacket, regardless to whether your dog's a good swimmer or not. It's very easy for a dog to go overboard and to end up, um, you know, not being able to. Um, swim enough till you get back to rescue it. So the other thing with buoyancy vests, they give the dog a lot of confidence in the water. So they help with the dog that may not be a strong swimmer or a dog that may not even like the water. Um, when they're swimming at, in a pool, they've um, about 90% of their body is actually buoyant because the water's helping to hold them up. But when they go to the swimming pool, um, to the lake or they're swimming at the beach, often they're not actually swimming. They're still able to stand on the ground. So just be mindful that your dog actually is able to swim if you decide to go in an area that they can't touch the, um, the bottom of the, the, the sand or the ground. Um, it is a great way of cooling down your dog in this hot weather, but there are other benefits as well. Swimming helps to um, strengthen the dog's muscle tone. It also improves um, circulation in the cardiovascular system. It increases the range of motion and balance. So that's really important for older dogs. You know, as we get older, we often, um, you know, sort of lose a little bit of our balance and a bit of our muscle toning. And as I said earlier, it's a great way for overweight dogs to, um, to get rid of a little bit of that weight. So there's so many positives. Just make sure that, you know, the sun, the exposure, um, that the heat stress your dog may have, make sure that you've got some shade when you are swimming um, and keep, staying happy and cool and dicky dippers aren't a bad option <laughs> if it's possible it is is it that is. generally that's not a bad option look sometimes some dogs can dog paddle some dogs can't swim at all so you know just be mindful if you want to just take your dog in under your arm in the swimming pool and bring it out again that's going to cool it down yep. but just really watch what your dog can do some dogs thrash at the water some dogs just do not enjoy the whole system mm. other dogs are absolutely beautiful in the water they love it they enjoy it they jump in and swim and have heaps of fun yep. so it's all about staying cool Okay. And ideally when you're introducing your, your dogs to the water, try to do it a bit gradually and try not to push them past where they're comfortable initially. Particularly people with puppies often get very um, excited and they want to introduce their puppies mm. really early on and they want uh, even you know classic water dogs, that dogs that like water, people often get them in really early. Um, but in some cases they, they'll actually cause a little bit of trauma to the dog and, and that can actually work against them. So just go really easy. I find that a lot of um, pups, I mean I have, I've always had golden retrievers and they typically love the water but they often don't develop that love for it to, for actually getting in and having a really good swim um, until they're a little bit older sometimes you know into the the later half of their first year where they um, you know really start to enjoy swimming they usually will have a little splash and a and a kick and a lick but they may not actually want to get in past where they can reach yeah. um, until they're a little bit older I think there's something about a bit of security and confidence that they have 
And the only other comment that I'd have is that I think swimming is a fantastic exercise. We we recommend it for old dogs, for young dogs, because it's a, a very um, non-traumatic uh, on, on their joints and things like that. Yeah. Um, but just need to be mindful if your dog's not used to swimming and is not fit for swimming um, and then decides to go out. This is usually the dogs that love it, and they'll go out over a weekend and you're camping or whatever, and you've, you've got the opportunity that the dog doesn't normally have. A lot of them come to me on a Monday morning, and they're very stiff and sore in the back end. Um, that we call it limber tail or rudder tail. They they do use their tail sometimes for steering, and they can get very stiff and sore down the back end, the the muscles of the tail, and and down the back sides of the legs. And these dogs are often really painful. They don't want to sit. They don't want to move. They're feeling really sorry for themselves. So um, just moderate their activity if they're not fit for it. Yeah, Kimberly, on that, they say a five minute swim is equivalent to about a five mile run. So mm. it is pretty strenuous. It is. Yeah. 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 Is that for us as well? Absolutely. <laughs> it's pretty good, yeah. It's good exercise. That's it. I'll remember that next time I go to the pool. <laughs> it's Bet Chat on 2 and you are FM. Any questions? 49216 216. We've got Stephen from Maitland, and he's got a problem grooming his dog. Hi, Stephen. Hi. Hi, how are you? We're good, thanks. Um, I've, yeah, I've got a dog who's about 10, and... Um, I always used to clip him. He needs a couple of two haircuts a year. He's a legato. You know, they've got that very fine coat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sent him to the parlour oh, about a year ago. It was the first time he'd ever been, and they had problems with him, apparently. And since then, he is he, it's just turned into a nightmare for me to clip him. Okay. As in he's, like he's frightened of the clippers and... Yeah, yeah, everything's good. I'm, I'm used to sort of clipping dogs, but yeah. this time I thought, I'm just not going to do it. I'll okay. have it done. Yeah, okay. And so what's he doing now? How is he behaving? Is he, is he I'm trying just, to bite he's me. trying to bite you? you? Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Obviously, Stephen, he's experienced something that hasn't been so positive, so you're going to need to work with him. And maybe just um, when you're trying to do your clipping, just do areas that you can that are easy to do. So things like getting him um, reaccustomed to having the clippers on his body, so just turning them on and letting him feel them in the beginning, and maybe just taking you know a short amount of coat off the back of him or something like that, just to get him you know, reaccustomed to there's no no pressure, there's no pain. And then working a bit by bit, if you're used to grooming him yourself, that's a good way to start. Um, otherwise, seeking a really experienced groomer to help you and um, seeing how you go from there. Because if you've said you've clipped him previously and there's been no issues, you need to regain his confidence with having a no. haircut. And he obviously, was never crazy about a haircut, but he tolerated it. He you t- know, especially when the weather got hot because he knew there was a payoff at the end of it, yes. you know. Yeah, and Legados do have a um, quite a coat that can mat very easily, so you need to make sure that you do have really sharp clipper blades, that the blades you are using aren't pulling on that coat so that they're, they're gliding through that hair. Yeah, the clippers are quite good. It just, um, it's just particularly around his his um, face. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. where it needs the most. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, a lot of that area is done with scissors. So you know, if you seek somebody really professional, you should have no problem there. Mm-hmm. But make sure that they they understand the legato. Mm. Yeah, and they did mention that they. Um, I don't know what happened. There was something went down there. I think, but 
they said that uh, he needed to be anesthetized. I mean, what's the deal with that to, for yeah. a haircut? So, I mean, we do it, and in in my practice and in most vet hospitals, we do um, do grooming for dogs and cats under sedation, and these are usually patients that either don't tolerate it or are aggressive or um, get very stressed out. Um, they're not pretty clips. They're very industrial. You know, get the hair off, get the mats off, and, and sometimes that is good enough. Um and he's an older dog, so he may have, you said he was 10, I think. And so I think, you yeah. know, sometimes they do have worsening anxiety issues and, and using um, anti-anxiety medications can be helpful, particularly if we're trying to retrain him to be more confident. You'd have to speak to your um, vet about that, but that, that is something we have done on occasion. Um, you know, I guess it, it's probably a last, not a last resort, but I guess ideally you'd like to be able to try to get him back to where he could be groomed normally yeah. um, because it's not always in their best interest to, to necessarily have an anaesthetic or a, a deep well, sedation for grooming. Well, that's what worries me, you know, because yeah. he's a, you know, getting a bit older yeah. and, and he's a pretty sick dog. But, but we, just, we do do it and, fantastic. yeah, I mean, you, you can do it and I think if um, if the stress of being groomed for him is higher than the the risk of a sedation and things like that, then, then we do do it. Um, most vet hospitals would. Um, just you have to sort of weigh up the risks and the benefits for All him right. at that point. So, yeah. Okay. Okay? All Good right. luck Thanks with that. that. Sounds like a bit of a challenge. It is. <laughs> Thank you. Take care, Stephen. Thanks. Bye. I could imagine anything worse than a dog being sedated to have a haircut. Surely that would be more stressful for, for them. Uh, no, not really. Because they're passed out, aren't they? So, <laughs> yeah. so well, I, I, I always mean, equate it to I wouldn't get sedated if I went to the hairdressers. So no, I like the experience. It, it is and different. Most, most yeah. dogs I do enjoy it. Enjoy but yeah, it. Yeah. There are some times when there are dogs that just are very difficult and they need sedation. Yeah, yeah. We and we do have some. We have um, dogs for various reasons. I've I've dealt with dogs in the past that have had previous neck injuries and they hate being groomed and their tendency is to whip their head and neck around and so they feel like the owners feel like they don't want to risk having a flare-up of that yeah. and so we'll um, sedate them um, obviously you have to you know weigh the pros and cons there are some dogs that it's not very safe because they've got heart problems um, to do that with and so we would always encourage those owners to try to, to seek a professional groomer yeah. um, cats you know we, we sedate a lot of cats to groom them because there are some cats that are just really not handleable and they get very matted and once or twice a year they just need to be shaved down so that their skin doesn't become um, you know sort of infected yep. and, and and awful so um, cats are a little bit hard to reason with sometimes than dogs yeah, can I think be so. I think dogs so, can be easily more persuaded than cats can yeah not not easily always but there's definitely a place for it but the thing that we always tell our customers is listen you can come to us and we can we can sedate your dog and we can take the hair off of them but we are not a professional groomer we're not making him look pretty we're going to make him comfortable we're going to take care of the mats and the and the serious issues that he has but um, they're much more of an industrial sort of um, clip yeah. so and the other thing too with a professional groomer you do have some of us out there that are um, dealing with special needs dogs, sure, these dogs yeah. with medical conditions and, you know, making sure that they're handled properly and mm, that things yep. are going along nicely. We've got Bruce from Merriweather and he's got a bit of an issue with his pup. He gets a little bit excited when members of the family come home. Hi, Bruce. Tell me what's going on. Uh, he gets really excited, barks and carries on and jumps. And uh, he's a bit over, just over 12 months old. Mm -hmm. And now he started doing a lot of scratching and... Uh, Chewing and the hair on his back and on his legs, and that so that right, chewing and right. stuff is happening as you're coming home as part of the excitedness, or a separate sort of thing. Separate 
during during the day since we're doing it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, it means pretty pretty normal for dogs to get really excited when you when you come home. Um, and he's probably at the age now where he's doing a lot of sleeping when you're away because they often do at that age. Um, they start to rest a bit more when the family aren't there because he knows now you're going to come home and and there'll be some real good interaction. So he's potentially saving up a lot of his energy um and the best thing i can just say is you know come come home greet your dog if he's um uh you know out in the backyard go straight out to him and and spend a few minutes with him and actually give him that time and say you know we're home here you are have a bit of a play uh um, throw a ball or tug a you know tug a toy or do whatever is his sort of thing um really important to make sure that he's getting an appropriate amount of exercise because uh you know young dogs when they're um not exercise very well, your family's sort of, the puppy stage is over and he's spending more time on his own. If he's not getting exercised well, you potentially will see some, you know, other behavioral issues, destruction and, and things like that. Um, the chewing on his hair and things like that, that can be a number of different things. So you might be dealing with a dog that is uh, chewing on himself. He's got um, over grooming. You can sometimes see anxiety showing as, as over grooming and, and sort of self mutilation where they start to pull out their hair. Um, but it's also the height of summer, and I definitely make sure you have a really good look at what's happening in your um, in your anti-parasite program. Have you got them on a really good flea product? Because a lot of times chewing, um, and particularly if they're pulling pulling it out, can be that they're they're itchy from fleas. Um, he's at the right age where allergic skin disease might be coming on. Um, so if the skin is red or inflamed, if there's any little scabs, things like that, then we want to probably have him up to your vet and have them have a bit of a look at it because he may need some um, some treatment that way. Uh, and it does become a bit uh, sort of cyclical. So once they start doing it, if they're starting to irritate the skin, then it gets more itchy, so they do it some more. Um, and it's really hard to break that cycle if there's, if there's any kind of actual pathology or problem happening in the skin. So, um, you know, I think make sure he's getting lots of exercise, lots of good interaction, um, and, and just make sure we're, we're good with flea treatments, flea and tick treatments and, and skin issues. Okay? Okay. All right. Good luck with that. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers to thank Bruce. Well, guys, it's nearly almost coming to the end of another Pet Chat for a Wednesday. Is there anything you'd like to add, Kimberly, before we finish up? Yeah, I just wanted to highlight, um, some people may have heard in the news this um, panleukopenia. Feline panleukopenia is a virus that we haven't seen as a disease in Australia for a really long time. Um, But we're having some pretty major outbreaks, particularly in Sydney, but also in other parts of the state. Um, This is a disease that is very easily prevented with vaccination. It's in your standard F3 vaccination. The disease itself is essentially the same or or in the same family as um, parvovirus in dogs. And everybody knows about parvovirus in dogs. It's awful. It kills dogs. Very similar in cats. Um, So your standard F3 vaccination that cats get will protect them against panleukopenia. And I don't know if, if we're... Um, not vaccinating our cats as well. Um, you know, people often sort of sort of go, "Oh, my cat stays inside; it doesn't really get a lot of contact, or doesn't you know go anywhere." Um, but really important that people are thinking about making sure their cats are appropriately vaccinated. So your standard F3 vaccine that your veterinarian has um, will include panleukopenia. And if your cat hasn't been done in the last one or two years, we probably want to have a look at getting them done. Um, most of the time, kittens. The way we vaccinate kittens is we start them somewhere around six to eight weeks of age and they'll get vaccinated approximately every three to four weeks until they're around 16 weeks of age and then um, usually annually thereafter. The panleukopenia 
senior part, once they've had a full kitten series and a booster at six to 12 months after that, we'll actually give them protection for about three years at a time. So it's pretty significant. I think some of the um, big pounds and shelters in Sydney have pretty well closed their doors because they've just had dozens and dozens of cases of this. And it really means that somewhere in the environment, we've got a gap in, in our protection. So there's not really any reason. Uh, if you haven't had your cat up to the vet recently for a health check and a vaccination, please think about doing that. Um, we know that this disease is preventable and it's quite awful. And the other thing is that parvovirus in dogs is potentially transmissible to cats who are not protected against panleukopenia. So um, it can actually be that we get parvovirus outbreaks around our Newcastle area fairly frequently. Um, and if you have a cat in the local area that is not protected, that cat can potentially succumb to the dog version of of parvovirus. So the okay. panleukopenia vaccine, possible? it is, absolutely. Because the, the, the panleukopenia, or the disease we identify as panleukopenia in cats, is the same um, family of parvoviruses that it is in dogs. So the vaccine will give cross-protection, um, but it's really important that, that the cats are getting vaccinated. So don't neglect your poor little putty cats. Let's get them in and get them protected. So the sooner the better. Sooner the better, yep, yep. I mean, there's lots of old cats there and people are thinking, oh, it doesn't go anywhere, it doesn't do anything. Um, but, you know, it's definitely worthwhile getting and protect. This is a completely preventable disease, so um, there's not really any need to, to see sick cats. And same goes with dogs. Parvovirus is completely preventable in most cases as well. So the, the virus is really long-lived in the environment, 12 to 18 months, no problem. So even if your cat just sneaks out of the house you know, once or twice a year, um, in a bad luck situation, that's potentially enough. Yeah. So, okay. And okay. if anybody has any questions about it, certainly give us a ring or give your local vet a ring. Um, like I said, it's in the standard F3 vaccination that cats get, so it's not hard to do. Well, guys, thank you very much. That's Thanks. All it's great to be back. Thank you. Very yes, good. It is. I'll see you guys in a few weeks. Yep, yep. I'm back next week. Okay. Well, Cheryl, you seem to be here every week at the moment. <laughs> oh, <laughs> at the moment, yes. Jesus, thank you very much, guys. Thanks. That was Pet Chat on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>